Professor Stephen Duckett is one of Australia's leading health economists. He once headed the Commonwealth Department of Health. He tries to answer these questions in a new book, Healthcare Funding and Christian Ethics, and he leans heavily on one very famous passage. I look at one of the most frequently quoted, and some might say one of the secular parables of the Bible, that is the parable of the Samaritan, sometimes called the parable of the Good Samaritan, or the Compassionate Samaritan, or the Foolish Samaritan, all, <laughs> all the terms that have been used. What I say is you can look at that parable and you can see principles that come out of that parable. The first thing we know about the Samaritan is he was moved by compassion. Well, obviously, compassion is something we ought to be thinking about in our priorities and our principles. Then Jesus says, well, who, who is it who we should be looking to? And Who, who is my neighbour? Who yeah. is my neighbour? And the answer from the lawyer was, well, the one who showed mercy. And so we should be inclusive. It's a parable with teachers. The Samaritan, the last person you'd think would be helpful to someone on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho was this person who was from a people who were disregarded. So it's a parable about inclusiveness, about justice, about equity. And finally, we have the innkeeper and we have the Samaritan giving money and saying, well, look after this person till I'm back. So it's a parable about stewardship. So I distill these three principles out of that single parable. You've got to have a basis for your ethical principles. And the Samaritan parable, I think, is a good one. Yeah, but it's also a parable in a way about discernment. The Samaritan's charity was not endless, was it? No. The Samaritan said, you know, you can have a, a couple of pennies which was a a lot of money. And what it shows is an issue of trust. That is, the Samaritan felt he could trust the innkeeper and the innkeeper felt he could trust the Samaritan to come back and to actually look after them. And, And so I think part of stewardship is this issue of trust. We don't have unbounded money. The Samaritan doesn't have unbounded money. So we've got to think about what are we saying as a society we ought to be spending on health care and recognising there are limits. This goes to the classic argument of an economist, and you're one of this country's leading health economists, but it is this question of efficiency. But when we're dealing with health, we're dealing with life and death, we're dealing with pain, we're dealing with severe pain often, surely we just spend what we have to, don't we? Certainly, as individuals, we should be doing what we can and to help an individual. But as a society, we've got to actually make priority choices. Not every drug is listed on the pharmaceutical benefit scheme. We make a choice about which drugs are listed. In making that judgment, we say, how much does this drug cost and what do we as a society get for it? Using cost-benefit analysis, how much does it actually yield? And so we make a priority choice in the same way we make priority choices when we as individuals go to the market or, or anywhere else. We decide what we're going to spend money on. The same is true in healthcare. There's long been this argument among philosophers, I suspect also among economists. It certainly came up during the pandemic Whose life do we save? It's a very, very thorny issue. What does Christian ethics tell us about the choice we make if we have limited resources on whose life we save? Of course, every individual is formed in the image of God. And so we've always got to be thinking about individuals and who they are and what they want and what their priorities are. And so when we're looking at an individual We have to think about that individual, that person in front of us. But we have to also be saying to the individual, you are never going to live forever. (laughs) This is not what happens. Your life is bounded. And we have to be honest with individuals and say, if we give you this treatment, 
it may mean you're not able to talk to your family anymore and you might live an extra three weeks. There are trade-offs and we have to involve and be honest with people about what the trade-offs are in treatment. I remember, though, during the early days of the pandemic, Stephen, discussions were being had as to, well, who is going to make the greater contribution to our society if we spend limited resources saving people? Yes, it was a terrible time, Andrew. And we saw those images of Italy where people were not able to get intensive care beds, people were not able to go to hospitals, and people were saying, look, I've lived a good and fruitful life. My intensive care bed could be for someone else. We were making those terrible choices and society didn't want to make those choices. And society at the time in Australia especially said, we are prepared to go through terribly long lockdowns so we don't have to make that choice. Do we actually put a dollar figure on human life? Because again, this is something that economists were talking about during the pandemic. Oh, yes. And you raise it in the book, by the way. Yes, yes. The very essence of economic evaluation is looking at statistical lives and say I've used the Australian Pharmaceutical Benefit Scheme, how much does society as a whole get if we buy this drug and we pay X dollars per every person who uses the drug, so society subsidises the drug. Sometimes that is phrased as putting a value on human life. What it really is doing is putting a value on different conditions of life. If we have this drug, it means you've got less pain when you walk around. Or if we have this drug, it means you're less likely to have a heart attack. Or if we pay for this drug, we avoid infections and so on. And so what it's really about is saying, what is the benefit in terms of this health state versus that health state? And I think the summarising of that as putting a value on human life doesn't do justice to what actually is happening because we're all creating the image of God. Each of us has, in a sense, infinite value in that regard, but that doesn't mean to say each health state is of infinite value. Let's raise another uh, rather thorny issue that you discuss in your book, and that is this notion of moral hazard. If we agree to treat every condition, aren't we just, for argument's sake here, licensing some people to live reckless and unhealthy lives? Is that a very moral or Christian thing to do? The concept of moral hazard is, as you described, that if people aren't paying for it, they won't actually value looking after themselves or whatever. But I don't think that's the way people think. If you're a young person drinking too much and then driving, You don't think about it as moral hazard. You're making stupid choices. I agree you're making stupid choices. But I don't think the concept of moral hazard actually helps. And I think also if we have bulk billing general practice, for example, I don't think the fact that you don't pay for a general practitioner makes you go along to the general practitioner a lot more than you would otherwise because there is a cost to going to the general practitioner, even though it not be a cash cost. You actually have to actually make time to do it. You have to sit in the waiting room and read... 50-year-old women's weeklies or whatever. <laughs> but, but moral hazard, I don't think, captures the reality of, of real life. Just as we wind up, Stephen, this raises another very important question that's come up, particularly in the last year, as we've looked at, say, for example, bulk billing rates. Should medical care, medicine, health care, all the associated industries be money-making industries? Is there something unethical about making money out of ill health? It depends what you mean by make money. Every dollar of health expenditure is a dollar of someone's income. It's sometimes a salary, it's sometimes 
a butcher who sells meat to the hospital. It's sometimes the profit that a company makes from pharmaceuticals or whatever. So we actually pay money for healthcare. So people are making money from healthcare. Some people make a lot of money from healthcare. The pharmaceutical industry, for example, has a greater level of profit than other industries. Procedural specialists get more income per minute than a nurse. The question is, what is fair? But I think it's inevitable that people are going to get paid for providing health services, and they should be paid for providing health services. It comes down to to this. There is no doubt that doctors particularly study many years. They give up a lot of income in the process of studying, in the process of gathering life-saving skills. Is medicine, though, a profession where you seek to become rich as opposed to simply a well-paid professional? Unfortunately, what we're seeing now is that there are some specialties in medicine which pay very, very, very well indeed, and some, especially primary care, geriatrics, which don't pay as well. And we are seeing new medical graduates gravitating towards the high-income specialties. I think it's the responsibility of government and the medical profession to say, is this the sort of medical practice we want? Shouldn't we actually be looking towards equalising the lifetime earnings across different specialties so that the choice is made not on how much money I'm going to make, but rather where I think I can make my best contribution. You know, I'm pretty skilled with my hands, so I might be a procedural specialist. I, I like interacting with people, so I might want to be a GP or a psychiatrist or a physician. So, you know, we've got to actually be trying to step back and say, is this what we want? medical practice to look like. Dr Stephen Duckett, he is a healthcare economist. Stephen's new book is Healthcare Funding and Christian Ethics, a fascinating book. Thank you for joining us on the program. Thanks very much, Andrew. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.